to meet you yet. I'm Pastor Dana Williams, and I love this church. Our family is so blessed to be a part of New Life, and you are so blessed to be a part of New Life. So I just want to make one more plea. If you are considering membership here, maybe you're on the fence and you're trying to decide if this is the place, if we're your people, we are your people. So make sure that you come on out to Discovery Seminar. Well, you all, I've had this recurring dream for the last, I don't know, three or four years. And in this dream, I'm speaking in some arena and I'm late. So the event has already started and in the dream, I'm either stuck in traffic somewhere or I'm at the event, but I can't figure out which door to get into. And so the event planner is trying to stall for time and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be late, I'm gonna be late. And then I wake up and I've had this dream over and over, and I can't really figure out the meaning of the dream, but what I do know is that I do tend to run late sometimes. I know it's a confession, and really, I don't really call it running late per se. I say it's more of a divine delay. I think that my internal clock is about 15 minutes later than most. So if my husband wants me to be somewhere on time, he has to tell me, he has to lie to me actually, and tell me that it starts at 5.30 and then maybe I'll be there at like 5.45-ish. Now, the truth is, it's not because I'm a selfish person, it's not because I don't value other people's time, but it's just that sometimes I just get so caught up in whatever I'm doing and I lose track of time. Well, if you guys know Pastor Dan, He don't play that, okay? (laughs) Pastor Dan is a stickler for time, so every meeting that I've ever been in, I've always been on time to meetings. It's just the social stuff. So if y'all ever invite me to a party and your party starts at four, I'll be there in the suite by and by, okay, when I get there. But how how many of us know that delays are inevitable? Some of you strolled up in here this morning at a good old 1022. I'm not gonna talk about you though, but delays in life are inevitable. You know, we think about the promises of God all throughout scripture, God has offered us these wonderful promises, but God's promises are oftentimes full of delay. Think about it, Abraham was promised that he would be the father of many nations at 75 years old, but it will be 25 years before the promise actually came to fruition. Joseph had a dream that he would rule over his brothers when he was 17 years old. But it wasn't until 13 years later that Joseph actually came into that dream. And he was the second in command in Egypt and did indeed rule over his brothers. King David was anointed king over Israel as a teenager. But how many of you know that it would be another 15 years before David was actually appointed as king? And then Jesus Christ himself, Jesus was given to us, the promise of Jesus, back in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, but it will be thousands of years before Jesus shows up in the flesh as the Messiah. Somebody say delay, delay. God's promises are sure, but they are full of delays. This morning, we're gonna read a story about an unexpected yet divine delay. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter 11, and of course we'll have the scriptures on the screen for you. We are going to read 44 scriptures, 
but you guys can handle it. We're in the house of the Lord. Now, before I get into this story, I want to let you know my sermon title is called Delayed But Not Done. Delayed But Not Done. Oftentimes when we read this uh, book, this chapter, John 11, we focus on the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. If you've ever been in Sunday school or if you grew up in church, that's probably what the focus was on. Lazarus rises from the dead. It's an incredible story of an amazing miracle. But before the miracle of resurrection, there was a delay. And so this morning we are going to read about that delay. So John chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, somebody say finally. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Now, before y'all give them a hard time, remember that these disciples were young adults. They're probably in their upper teens, maybe early 20s. So Jesus has to tell them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, y'all. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Pause. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, scholars believe that Thomas actually looked just like Jesus. He was like Jesus' doppelganger. So they called him the twin. Second of all, Thomas was the pessimist of the group. He was the one when Jesus had risen again and the disciples had seen him, he was like, I don't know what y'all saw, but I'm gonna need to see it for myself. I need to see the nail prints. I need to see the footprints. Thomas was the pessimist. I cannot read this scripture without hearing Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh in my head where Thomas is like, let's go to and die with Jesus. Verse 11, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary got word that Jesus was coming, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us have said that, Lord, if you had only been here, my marriage wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had only been here, I wouldn't have experienced that tragedy, that trauma. Lord, if you had only been here. But even now, 
This is the good part, she says. But even now, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this new life? Do you believe this, that everyone who lives in him and believes in him will have eternal life? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Verse 30, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She said the exact same words, which tells us that she and Martha were probably consoling themselves together, thinking, oh my gosh, don't you remember the miracles that Jesus did? Don't you remember how he raised that dead boy from the, from the, uh, from the dead? If only he had been here. Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and saw all the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him. Why anger? Because death is the final enemy. Death is our enemy. And Jesus' heart was grieved right along with Mary and Martha. It says, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. John eleven thirty five. 35, one of the shortest, the actual shortest scripture in all of the word and probably one of the most profound. Then Jesus wept. Jesus, the son of God, the eternal, immutable, all-knowing one, weeps. Church, I want to tell you today that regardless of what you're going through, don't ever think that God is just some far-off God in the distance and doesn't care about what you're going through. The Bible says that he is well acquainted with your grief. He wept. Then the people who were standing by nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have at least kept Lazarus from dying? Those were Thomas's cousins, by the way. Verse 38, Jesus, still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance said, roll away the stone. But Martha, the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. The King James Version says, he stinketh. Look at your neighbor and say, don't say, I'm kidding. All right, verse 40. <laughs> Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Would you lift your hands and pray with me this morning? 
Father, your word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to pierce, Lord God, through our faith, through our doubt, through our disappointment, through our struggle, through our lack. Lord God, I thank you for the word of God. Lord, your word is already anointed. And so, Father, I pray even now, would you anoint our ears to hear? Would you anoint our hearts, Lord God, to receive what thus saith the Lord? We are listening in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Somebody say delay. Delay. I'm going to give us three points this morning. I'm going to tell you all three and then we're going to break them down. If you're taking notes, write down number one, divine delays are intentional. Number two, disappointments are inevitable. And number three, destiny is imminent. Divine delays are intentional. Jesus was intentionally delayed. He could have gone when he heard the news of Lazarus, but he delayed. Why? I believe there is always purpose in the delay. Around this time, Jesus was actually in a place called Bethabara because the people in Judea were threatening to kill him. He was doing miracles on the Sabbath. He was going around having the audacity to tell people that he was the son of God, and they didn't appreciate that very much. And so they were plotting to kill him. So he goes away to this place called Bethabara when this message comes to him. Now, remember, church, that this was in the days of pretext message pre-bicycle, pre-automobile, and train. So a messenger had to go on foot and give this message to Jesus that your dear friend Lazarus is sick. That journey was about a day's journey, about a 20-mile journey from where Jesus was in Bethany. So apparently Lazarus had already died when the messenger was en route because the Bible says that Jesus delayed two days and then he finally goes and when he gets to Bethany, it had been four days since Lazarus was in the grave. Delays, they're intentional and they're purposeful. Sometimes, church, we're praying for God to deliver us from something when God is saying, actually, I just want to resurrect it. How many of you all know that God can get more glory out of resurrecting dead things than he can by restoring or repairing difficult things? Sometimes our prayers are too small. Sometimes we're praying for healing and God is saying, I'm actually going to give you a resurrection. Sometimes maybe in your marriage, you're going through a struggle and you're saying, God, would you please help my marriage? Would you let my husband finally see the truth? Any wives say amen. amen. And God is like, actually, I'm going to let that thing die. I'm going to let it be so dead that when I resurrect it, you're going to know that it was only me who resurrected that thing. Maybe this morning you're praying about something. Maybe your mortgage is behind and you're saying, God, would you please give us the money? Give us the finances so that we don't get foreclosed. And the Lord is saying, actually, I'm going to let your house be foreclosed. I'm going to let you lose your house. Your credit's going to be jacked up. But guess what? I'm going to give you a new house in a better neighborhood with neighbors that you actually like with a better mortgage. And you're going to know with your jacked up credit that it was me, not you. Sometimes our prayers are too small. And God gets more glory out of resurrecting the dead things than he does by restoring the difficult ones. Delays are always purposeful. I also believe that the delay was out of God's divine love. Did you catch this in verse 5 and 6? It says, although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he delayed. Really, Lord? You love me? That's why you delay? How many times do we think when God delays, he doesn't love us? Lord, you've forgotten about me. You're mad at me. 
I've done something wrong. But usually, church, that's not the case. The, de- the, de- the delay, excuse me, is because of God's divine love for us. And I also believe that it's because God wants to show us our love for him. Sometimes we don't realize how much we have in the tank, if I can say it that way. Sometimes we don't realize that we actually love God more than we think we do. We actually trust him more than we think that we're able to, but we won't know that until God puts us in a situation where that love and that trust has to be tested. You see, Martha and Mary were full of grief, but Mary passed the test. Martha passed the test. When Martha fell down and when Mary fell down and when Martha said to Jesus, Jesus, if only you would have been here. But then she says, but even now, I still believe. God, even now, I still believe. Lord, you let that thing happen to me and I don't understand why, but even now, I believe that you are good. Even yet, I will still praise you. Even though it didn't turn out the way that I thought that it should have turned out, Lord God, even now I will bless you church you have more love in your heart for God than you realize you have more trust than you realize but it will not be realized until something in your life dies that's when you will know divine love sometimes the delay is simply because of divine timing divine timing God's divine story was at stake here If you turn a chapter into John chapter 12, you will notice that now it is six days before Passover. What happens at Passover? Jesus dies. He is the Passover lamb. What if he would have sent his word to heal Lazarus like he did the Roman official? He could have done that. He wouldn't have been at the right place at the right time. What if he would have gone to Bethany the day that he heard the news? It would have been too early. And he wouldn't have been our Passover lamb. He would have been like the pre-Passover lamb. Sometimes the divine delay is simply because of God's timing. You see, God knew, Jesus knew that the resurrection of Lazarus would set off the plot to kill him. We're going to read about that in just a moment. It would set off the plot. So divine timing was at stake. Church, there is a divine time clock at work in your life. You can't see it. You don't know the end from the beginning like God does. So trust in his divine timing. Sometimes God wants to bring us into the full of something, but it's just yet not time. And so we need to understand that if God has not released it to you yet, it's only because it's not best for you now. How many of us are parents in the room? How many of us want our children to grow up and get out? Amen. But we don't want them out when they're two. They would kill themselves out here. They don't know what to do. Sometimes we're like, God, I need this thing right now. I need it right now. And God is saying, wait for me. My timing is always good. My timing is always best. Divine delays are intentional. Number two, disappointments are inevitable. Disappointments are inevitable. I hate to break it to you this morning, church, but life is full of disappointments. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're not going to experience disappointments. As a matter of fact, we'll probably experience more disappointments. But you know what disappointment teaches us? It teaches us that we have faith. It teaches us that we're actually believing for something. If your children are acting crazy and doing things that you know that they shouldn't, why do we get so disappointed? It's because we believe that they're capable of better than that. The reason that our hearts get broken and the reason that we get disappointed is because we actually have faith to believe for something better. 
So we need to learn how to reframe our disappointment. Instead of getting stuck in the disappointment, we need to ask, what, Lord, are you trying to teach me in this disappointment? I believe that disappointment teaches us several things. Number one, it gives us a new hope. It gives us a new hope. My husband and I were traveling once and this girl walked into the elevator where we were and she had on her t-shirt, no expectations, no disappointments. And I just wanted to lay hands on her right there and just minister to her and say, girl, that is not the way to live. No expectations? You're really gonna live your life with no expectations? Why? So that you can somehow protect yourself from being disappointed? Anybody ever tried that? You're still gonna be disappointed. So you might as well live life with great expectations. You might as well read the Bible and say, wow, Lord, if it happened to them, maybe it can happen to me. God, if you said it, I believe it. I'm gonna live life full of expectation. Don't bow down to what this culture is teaching us, not to expect anything, not to believe anything. No, we're gonna believe God. We're gonna expect God even in the midst of our disappointment. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, church. My husband is here. We've been married for almost 25 years next year, and it has been a journey, capital J-O-U-R-N-E-Y, exclamation point. I know what it's like to go through a hopeless season in your marriage, and there were times in my own marriage where I thought, this is never going to change. This is never going to change. God, I'm reading your word. I'm praying. I'm believing. I'm standing on faith, and in a moment, God can change your situation. In a moment, he can change your situation. Don't allow hopelessness to keep you out of what God has for you. So we need a new hope. Number two, we need new perspective. Verse 21, Martha and Mary, again, after her claim, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had only been here. Church, can I tell you that he is here? He is here. He is near. He is right here. He is right beside you, right with you. The enemy would want to come and tell you that God has forgotten about you. He's abandoned you. There's no need in you praying about that thing anymore. God heard you and he didn't come through for you. So you need to stop. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, what? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And the door will be open unto you. He is near. In our culture, it's all about feelings, feelings, feelings. I don't feel the Lord. I don't feel his presence. There's going to be times in your Christian life that you're not going to feel the presence of God. That you're not going to feel his nearness. But that's when you have to remember and declare what the word of the Lord says. God's word says that he is near the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So this morning, if you feel crushed in spirit, if you don't feel that he is near, don't believe what your feelings are saying. Believe what the word says. We need a new perspective. We need a new perspective. Don't allow yesterday's failures to determine tomorrow's future. Get a new perspective. Sometimes our disappointments can cause our perspective to be so jaded. But it's in times like this church that you just gotta keep going. Just keep believing, keep showing up, keep loving, keep serving. Sometimes faith just looks like faithfulness. Just keep being faithful, keep showing up. In the midst of our disappointments, we need a new perspective, but we also need some new habits. Can I be real with you guys today that sometimes we think that the delay is because of God and sometimes it's because of us. 
Sometimes it's, we're not the ones that are ready. We're the ones, God's like, I want to bless you, but you're holding my hands right now. You're not ready because you've got some bad habits. We've been preaching about a new thing, right? The sermon series that we just finished preaching on. God has given us a new thing, a new thing, but you can't go into the new thing with old habits. So we're going to have to lay down these bad habits that we have. Now, for some of y'all are thinking, I don't have any bad habits. You have some. Okay, how do you know if you have bad habits? Just go through some disappointment. Oh, your bad habits will show right up, won't they? Who's ever in here tried to lose weight before? I feel like all of my analogies are weight loss analogies. <laughs> Who's ever tried to lose weight? So you start the new diet plan, right? You're like, I'm gonna work out every day, I'm gonna work out, and it's been two weeks, and you're like, I haven't lost the 20 pounds like they said in the commercial. Forget all this, I'm going back to my old ways. I'm going back to eating trash, I'm going back to sitting around on the couch all day. Your disappointment will show you what bad habits you still have in your life. And some of these bad habits we're going to talk about this morning, we need to be aware of. The first bad habit that we need to be aware of is desperation. Desperation diminishes discernment. Anybody ever made some decisions out of a desperate place? Now, if you're sitting next to that decision, just put your hand down, okay? <laughs> Sometimes we make desperate decisions, you guys. It's not a good thing to make decisions when you're desperate. This is why I travel around with healthy snacks in my car, because when I get hangry, it's a desperate situation. I turn into a different person. Y'all don't want me driving around these streets of Hampton Roads being hangry. So I gotta have the snacks so that I can keep myself in the spirit. But sometimes when we are desperate, we make bad choices. Maybe your car breaks down and you know you can't afford a new car payment, but you're like, I, I, gotta, I gotta go out here and get something. I mean, I just don't know what to do. So instead of waiting on God and seeing maybe God shows up with a miracle, maybe God actually allows someone to bless you to use their car, we go out here and we jump into a decision out of desperation. Desperation diminishes discernment, beware. Beware of it. Number two, beware of distractions. Distractions, they come in all forms. I am pretty sure I am undiagnosed ADHD. Now you don't know it because I've learned how to keep myself together, but like during the day, there's all kinds of squirrels running around in this brain, all kinds, distractions. Everything is a distraction, the shiny thing. And some of us get distracted by people. Mm. This is why when Martha came back into the house, the Bible says that she had to call Mary aside from those folks. Those folks that were in the house, if you know anything about Eastern culture, modern and biblical, they would oftentimes hire professional mourners to come and help you when you would grieve. This wasn't like a fake thing, but these mourners would come and they would literally weep and wail. And in their weeping and wailing, they would help you to express that grief that sometimes is hard for you to express. So these were the folks that were around Mary. But how many of you know that Mary couldn't see Jesus with all those folks around her? So Martha had to come in and call her away from the people to where Jesus was. Sometimes Jesus is saying, I got to get you away from the people, away from the people who mean you well, even away from the people and their opinions, because everybody has an opinion about what you should do, what I think you should do right now, but they haven't sought the Lord. So you need to discern God, who are the people that I need to shut off in my life so that I can see you clearly. Distractions, beware of it. Third habit that we need to be aware of is despair. Despair. Despair is one of those habits that it moves from disappointment or even from depression and you get into this place of just woe is me, just hopelessness. Despair. 
Despair is a habit that we need to beware of. Oftentimes, we get into this habit of despair because we start looking at other people. Similar to distraction, we start looking at other people's blessings. Well, Lord, Sister Susie got a husband. She's not even saved. Lord, I've been up here praying for a man. I've been taking care of myself. I've been doing my personal development. Lord, what's up with that? How are you going to give her a husband but not give me a husband? She doesn't even deserve that man. So we start comparing other people's blessings with our own. That man got a promotion? He didn't even show, to work on, show up to work on time. How did he get a promotion and not me? I show up early and I stay late. Obviously not me. But some of you guys show up early and stay late and you still don't get the promotion. What's up with that? And then we get into this place of despair. Comparison causes us to despair. So stay away from that habit. The fourth habit that we need to be aware of is doubt. Doubt. It's easy to become doubtful in our disappointment. I remember back in 2008, my best friend passed away of breast cancer unexpectedly. She had been sick, but we weren't expecting her to die. She was a faithful woman of God. She did everything right. Beautiful woman, inside and out. And we did everything that the Bible prescribed. We called on the elders of the church to lay hands on her and pray for her. We actually dedicated an entire church service to her healing. And she died. And I was shook. And I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. That's not how this equation was supposed to line up. And I went through a season in my life where I said, Lord, I don't know if any of this is real. I don't even know if you're real. I'm praying to the Lord telling him, I don't know if you're real. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. I was like, I'm just done. I'm going to stop listening to my Christian music. I'm going to listen to some 2WD. I'm going to show you God. Doubt will cause you to not only doubt God's promises, but to doubt his character. God, I don't even know if you're who you said that you are. John the Baptist did it. He was locked up in a prison cell. This was the man who was the voice crying out to the wilderness, the very one whose whole purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. He's sitting in a prison cell about to be executed, and he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you really the one, or should we be waiting for someone else? Doubt caused by disappointment. Beware of the habit of doubt. So disappointment is inevitable, but in our disappointment, we can develop new hope, new perspective, and new habits. In our disappointment, we can say like Job said, Lord, even if you slay me, yet will I trust you. Even if you don't come through for me, God, I will still praise you. I won't be like the rocks that that are crying out. No one's going to have to force me to praise you, God. I will praise you even if I don't feel it, even if I don't see it, even in the midst of my disappointment today, I still choose to give you praise because you are still good. Can we just give the Lord some praise in this place? Can we just honor him because he's worthy? You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, God. You're worthy, Lord. Disappointment is inevitable, but here's the good news. Destiny is imminent. It's imminent. It's imminent. If we were in a Pentecostal church, guys, I would be like, it's on the way. It's on the way. Your promise is on the way. It's on the way. Your destiny will not not happen. It is imminent. 
It is on the way, but in the waiting, transitions are critical. Listen to me, transitions are critical. The transition time is that space between the now and the not yet. It's in between what you are waiting for and what will happen. The transition time is critical. Do I have any mamas in the house who have birthed babies from your body this morning? Yes, I have birthed four babies, no drugs, not because I'm courageous and awesome, I am, but not because of that, but because I'm afraid of needles. You guys, I would rather go through the pain of labor than have them stick a needle in my back. So I was like, nope, we're not doing the needle thing, we're just gonna feel this labor. And let me tell you something, that transition is the most dangerous time in labor, and it's also the most painful time in labor. What happens during transition? There's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure down there, okay? I'm trying to keep this G-rated for any littles who would be scared and scarred of having children. Have them one day. But there's a lot of pressure. In transition, you start saying crazy stuff. Any moms? Come on now. I remember when I was giving birth to my firstborn, I told you I had no drugs, and not only did I have no drugs, but I also had Pitocin. Pitocin is of the devil. Pitocin is a drug that they give you to speed up your contractions. I'd already been in labor for like 14 hours or something. And they were like, we know just what you need, more pain. So here you go. It will cause you, transitions will cause you to say some crazy stuff. I had to repent of all kinds of stuff I said to my husband. I was like, let me tell you something. Let me tell you, don't you ever think about touching me again. And as a matter of fact, I'm gonna jump out of this window right now. I mean, you say all kinds of crazy things because you're in pressure, you're in pain. You feel like you're being stretched to the max because you are, literally. How does the body stretch the, oh my gosh. But guess what, church? You can stretch farther than you think you can. Come on, figuratively and spiritually. Transitions are critical. You feel like you're gonna die, but you're not. You feel like you wanna quit, but don't. Because guess what? What happens right after transition? New life, new life. Something is being birthed in you right now, but you've gotta go through the transition. You've gotta go through the pain. You've gotta go through the agony. You've gotta go through the delay. But don't forget that destiny and new life is imminent. It is on the way. So in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus weeps right before the miracle, right before the resurrection. Jesus is feeling his greatest sorrow. And the very next thing that happens is he calls Lazarus, come out, come forth. Transitions are critical. And Jesus declared, this will not end in the death. Some of you need to declare that over your situations right now. This situation will not end in the death. This situation is not going to end my life. This situation is not going to end in death. Even though it seems hopeless, it seems like there's nothing that can be done. This situation will not end in the death. Family, You have no idea what God is about to do in your life. You have no idea what God has promised for those who love him. Hold on, hold on. The Bible says weeping, oh, it may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Don't give up in the night. Joy is coming in the morning. Hold on in the waiting, hold on. Joy is coming in the morning. Church, 
We can abort the mission if we are too impatient to wait on God's timing. I don't know the divine time clock in your life. I don't even know the one in my own, but I know this one thing. If God said it, I'm gonna believe it. I'm not gonna grow impatient. Oh, I might grow weary, but I'm not gonna grow impatient to the point of despair. I'm not gonna grow impatient to the point of giving up and neither are you. Why? Because timing is everything. Timing is everything. Later on in this chapter, we didn't read it, but I'm gonna tell you, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, news of Lazarus's resurrection gets back to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they weren't happy. They weren't rejoicing. They said, you know what? We're gonna to have to kill this Jesus, and we're gonna to have to kill Lazarus too. The resurrection of Lazarus set off the divine clock in God's story. Tick, tock, tick, talk Jesus was going to the cross six days later he'd be dead six days later you all I don't think Lazarus had any idea that his resurrection story would play a part in a bigger story of your redemption and mine this is why it's so important that we hold on because your destiny isn't just about you it's not just about you it's about those who are coming after you. It's about those children who are watching you go through your disappointment. It's about your neighbors who know that you're a Christian, but they want to see what do you do with delay. Your destiny is never just about you. It's always for those who are coming after you. And that is why we have to be patient and we have to wait. Even in the midst of our delay, even in the midst of our disappointment, we have to say, God, I'm waiting for you because your timing is perfect. His timing is everything. So in conclusion, church, I just came here today to tell you to stay the course. Just stay the course. God might be delayed, but he's not done. Your miracle might be delayed, but it's not done. You might be delayed, but you are not done. You are not done, Tay. You are not done, church. You are not done. Trust the divine timing of God. He is right on time every single time every single time would you stand with me today